Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Title of my message today, Is There Anyone I Can Show God's Kindness? Is there anyone I can show the kindness of God? Okay. Uh, Pastor has started a series on turning points. Uh, for the last number of, of weeks, he's been talking about uh, uh, having turning points in our lives. So what do we really mean when we're talking about a turning point? It's simply like a breakthrough. So maybe you've had trouble forgiving somebody uh, for a number of years. And all of a sudden, you, you read some passage of Scripture or maybe somebody uh, forgives you and I mean, God just does it. You know, it's just an you've struggled, 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 and then all of a sudden, through some circumstance or direct intervention from God, you're able to forgive that person. So that's what we mean by having a turning point in our lives. Okay, so having a breakthrough, and there's uh, there's other ways um, we can have turning points or breakthroughs. Uh, it could be anything from selling your house. I mean, maybe. Uh, it's it's just a set of situation or circumstances where, I mean, God just has to do something. Maybe there's some your lien's tied up. Maybe there's some kind of uh, legal thing going on with your house, and God just has to do something. And you don't. It's like it doesn't look very good at all, and then all of a sudden He just comes through, and you know it's God. I mean, you know that you know that you know, and your lives are changed. I mean, so a turning point is, is really it's like a life change. And I'd like to say it's a permanent life change. It's not like the, uh, you know, January 1st, I'm going to go to the gym this year. <laughs> okay, right. Um, and then for three weeks you go to the gym, and the fourth week you don't go to the gym. That's not what I'm talking about with turning points, okay? Right. Um, you know, these turning points really are initiated by God. It's God revealing His love to us. That's what causes change, doesn't it? It's the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. That's another way of saying a turning point. Um, And it can be, God can use external people, external circumstances, or God could actually speak directly to our mind, couldn't He? Yeah, He can do that. I remember a really sweet memory I have of this. A number of years ago, I was at a conference in Kansas City, and it was called The Ravished Heart of God. That's the title of the conference, The Ravished Heart of God. I mean, what do you mean? I mean, who's, who's, uh, you know, why is God ravished? Who's he ravished over? Of course, the answer is us, his bride, right? His church. So I had, I had never, I had never looked viewed God as having a ravished heart for something, <laughs> you know, anything. Um, so that was new to me. So the brother that was speaking, he was talking from the Song of, of Solomon. And he was just using the imagery between, you know, the love that, between a, a man and a woman, a husband and wife. He was using that imagery and applying it to Christ and his bride. And if you've read the Song of Solomon, the language is fairly... Um, I don't know what's the word, fairly uh, involved, fairly into it, fairly descriptive. And 
But at the end of his message, um, the guy was in. Sh- the guy just broke down on stage. I mean, he was just expounding how much God loves His church. I had never heard anything like that before. I mean, he's speaking to thousands of people. I'm just like, I, I'm amazed. I've never heard anything like this before. He he can't even finish his message. He just loses it. The whole, thousands of people lose it. I've never I'd never seen that before. We're all just standing there. I, we didn't know how much God loved the church. But that wasn't even it. Right after that, half of this auditorium, I mean huge auditorium, I don't know, not quite a stadium, but half of the people start singing a love song. They were the bride singing a love song to Jesus. The other half of the auditorium were singing from Christ to the bride, to the church. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm like, can this be happening? I mean, I mean one, one half of the congregation is singing how much they love Jesus, the bridegroom. And then the other half of the congregation is singing as, as if Christ were speaking to the bride. And that was a major turning point in my life. I didn't realize, I had no idea how much God loved this church. You know, what He did on the cross, you know, we know what He did on the cross, but to have that revelation, and really, you know, what was that? That's from Ephesians 1.16, where Paul's prayer for the Ephesians church was this, that they would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. So that day in Kansas City, I had a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of who Jesus Christ was. He, he was the lover of my soul. And not only me, but this whole corporate bride body thing. I changed my life. I, I just, it just filled me with love. It filled me with joy. It, it just gave me such an appreciation for how much God loves His bride. So it's a major turning point in my life. So just giving you a few examples of you know, what, are, what are we talking about here with these turning point things. Now, would you agree, um, the things I've described, I mean, you know, being able to forgive someone when you've been stuck. You know, God doing something wonderful with your house sale. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's maybe it's a revelation like I had. I mean, that's a good thing, right? We all would want that, right? And that's been Pastor's whole point in preaching this series is for us to hunger and go to God and say, God, give me a turning point, right? But I want to turn the turning point. I want to kind of flip that around and say, well, you know, what if we were used to bring a turning point into somebody else's life? Would that be good? Because wasn't Christ the initiator of turning points by going to the cross? By paying the price for our sins, ascending into heaven, pouring out the Holy Spirit on those who put their... I mean, that, that is the turning point is when you become a Christian. You decide to follow Jesus Christ. That is our example of turning point. But Christ initiated by showing His what God so loved the world that He gave His only sons. What did He do? He so loved the world. So my uh, the whole point of my message today is can I be used to show the kindness of God to somebody and bring a turning point maybe in their life? That would be good, wouldn't it? Okay, so we're going to look at uh, David and Mephibosheth. Hopefully my tongue won't get tied because I'm going to say that name about 20 times today. (laughs) 
Uh, so we're going we're gonna to go over the story of David, and we're going to see how God used David to bring a huge turning point in Mephibosheth's life, and hopefully that's going to encourage us to want to do the same thing. Got it? All right, so a little bit of uh, background here with David. Um, you remember uh, Samuel anoints Saul to be king, and so Saul is king, and Saul's not a good king. He doesn't obey the word of God, right? So God's like, oh my goodness, I told you you guys, you didn't want a king, you, you didn't want me to be your king, so I gave you Saul. So what is, you know, Saul basically disqualifies himself by disobeying God's word. So uh, God says to Samuel, hey, go to the house of Jesse and anoint David to be king. So David is anointed king, right? Does he become a king immediately? He's just a shepherd boy out in the fields, right? The guy is not a king. So he doesn't become a king until a number of years later. So Saul is king. He's fighting battles, right? And uh, and you remember uh, David comes in the whole Goliath episode. David kills Goliath, right? That got Saul's attention. And Saul's like, who is this guy? I want him in my army. You know, I want him working for me. Okay, so I'm going to kind of pick it up here in 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 4. By the way, all, half of the message is background information, just so you can fully appreciate what Mephibosheth did. Okay, now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. Okay, so David's taken into Saul's service, right? And he meets Saul's son, Jonathan. And what does it say? They, they form this immediate friendship. And they have this incredible brotherly love for each other, almost, and it's like an immediate bond. Uh, that's really cool. And... Then it says Jonathan makes this covenant with David. I mean, who is David? He's, he's a shepherd boy. He just kills Goliath. Okay, that's something. And then he gives, him, he gives him his robe. He gives him his armor and his weapon, his belt. You know, what's going on with that? Well, I, I think what's going on is that you know, Jonathan makes the covenant and that by offering him his armor was ratifying the covenant. Well, it doesn't tell us what the covenant is. I mean, what's the covenant? So we have to go to First uh, Samuel twenty fourteen to see what the covenant was here. Verse fourteen, Jonathan is speaking to David. He says, "If I'm still alive, will you not show me the loving kindness of the Lord that I may not die? You shall not cut off your loving kindness from my house forever, not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth." So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord require it at the hands of David's enemies. Jonathan made David vow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as he loved his own life. So Jonathan knew David was going to be king. Jonathan is whose son? Saul the king's son, right? So wait a minute. Normally... David would be a rival to the house of Saul, wouldn't he? 
and you kill rivals, I mean, because they could possibly lead an insurrection or a coup and end up overthrowing you. But this thing is, is kind of turned upside down. The rival, Jonathan, or, or David was the rival to Jonathan. David all of a sudden says, hey, David, I mean, you're awesome. You're great. The anointing of God is on you. I recognize that. You're my friend, man. I love you with the love of God. And I'm going to make a covenant with you. Where does that come from? That, that comes from God, right? That's, that's not of the natural realm. That's, that's of the spiritual realm. So Jonathan initiates this covenant with David. And I think what he was saying, by giving David his, his, his armor and his belt and his, his robe, I think it, what it was is saying, hey, God's anointed you. So right now, as an act of submission, I recognize God's anointing on you, David. Here's my armor. Here's my sword. Here's my belt. That's amazing. Now, Saul, his dad, didn't like, didn't like that later on. <laughs> he really didn't. Um, so this is like a little turning point for David and Jonathan. This is really not the message, but turning point for Jonathan because he just secured loving kindness on his family line forever, right? Making this covenant with David. So that's a big turning point for him. Turning point for David because David's like a little nervous about this I'm anointed king, I'm a shepherd boy type of a thing. He just killed Goliath, so he's got some confidence there. But now, you know, Jonathan's in succession to be king, right, under Saul. So when you have the prince, the successor, come to you and say, David, you're it. God's going to destroy your enemies. You know, it's not my it's not my dad's house. It's your house. What's that going to do for David? I mean, big boost of confidence and encouragement, right? Okay, so both of these guys have this turning point initiated. I mean, it's a it's a covenant based on God's love. It's it's really cool. Anyway, that's not that's not even the main message, um, but just wanted to point that out to you. That's for free, as they say. Okay. So finally, um, what happens right after that? Saul gets jealous of David. So he throws a spear and tries to kill David. And David now, Saul is chasing David around the countryside okay, for years, trying to kill him. Well, David doesn't know it, but Jonathan has a son named Mephibosheth. Right? He doesn't know that. Okay. So Saul's being chased around. The Philistines attack Saul. Uh, Saul and Jonathan are fighting, and they lose the battle. Saul gets killed. Jonathan gets killed. Okay, so let me read what happens with that in Second Samuel four four. Now Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the report of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. Okay, what report? The report that Saul. And Jonathan died, and Israel lost the battle to the Philistines. Okay, as soon as everyone in Israel heard that report, what did they do? Man, they took off. They fled. Well, his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened, and in her hurry to flee, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. So, all right, so Saul and Jonathan and the Israelite lost the battle. Uh, Saul and Jonathan are dead. Everyone flees. The nurse takes Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, and they flee. Now, I don't know exactly where they fled to at that moment in time, 
But we, need, we do know from later on in the story, Mephibosheth ends up living in Lodebar, which is northeast of Jerusalem. So it's, it's on the Transjordan. It's across the Jordan. That's where Mephibosheth ended up living. Okay, so pretty far away from Jerusalem and far away from the Philistines. Okay, um, so finally, I think we're coming now to Mephibosheth. The guy is lame in his feet. I'm not sure exactly what happened when he fell. Now, did he break one leg or both ankles? I, I don't know. But, you know, the guy can't walk. To, I mean, poor little boy. He's five years old. Um, so his nurse flees with him. Well, finally, uh, after Saul was killed, Ishbosheth, Saul's son, becomes king for like two years. And he's king over Gilead, which is where Lodabar is. That's, that's where Mephibosheth eventually ended up. So that's northeast of Jerusalem. And so Ishbosheth was pretty weak. And so I think he was across the Jordan because the Philistines were still pretty strong um, on the western side of the Jordan River. So anyway, Ishbosheth is king for a couple of years. He gets murdered. Abner takes the kingdom over to David. Abner gets murdered by Joab. Just a lot of murder. And finally, the whole finally the kingdom is turned. Everything's turned over to David, right? So David now has Judah. David now has Israel. David is now fighting the Lord's battles. He's fighting the Philistines. He's fighting uh, Syrians, Edomites, who are all of the enemies around uh, that God told Joshua to kill. David's just kind of taking care of it once and for all. And then finally, after a number of years, David kind of goes, <sighs> I mean, it's like a little peace respite came to him. Now, this is the main message. 2 Samuel chapter 9. David's king. Everything's going pretty well. Verse 1. Then David said, Is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Isn't that great? I mean, that's, that is, this is, this is a parallel story to what Christ did with the church. It really is. He didn't know about Mephibosheth. Isn't that cool? So John, David's about to be surprised here. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? He didn't know anything. And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Okay, so Mephibosheth is in Lodabar. And again, that's in Gilead. That's across the Jordan and way north of Jerusalem. So Mephibosheth is just kind of living in obscurity. That's the picture I'm trying to paint here. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, here is your servant. Now, if you're Mephibosheth and you're lame and you're nothing and you're living in Gilead and the king, the rival house to your father calls you in 
what are you going to be thinking? I mean, he's kind of could be in succession, right? I mean, he's he's descended. His granddaddy was the king Saul. So this guy's probably pretty fearful. Like, this isn't good. Maybe he's just going to execute all of my granddad's house once and for all. So David says to him in verse seven, "Do not fear." Isn't that great? For I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father Jonathan and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul and you shall eat at my table regularly. Again he prostrated himself and said, Well, what is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? Then the king called Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, All that belong to Saul and all his house I have given to your master's grandson. You and your son, Ziba, will cultivate the land for him and you're going to bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands, his servants, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. What's really going on here? This is, this is a lot bigger than what it looks. So Mephibosheth, you know, the guy's lame. So in that society, it's, agri- it's agrarian, right? And it's warlike. I mean, they've got to they have armies. So if you can't be in the army and you can't work the land, you know, what can you do? So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of doing some speculation here. So Mephibosheth, the guy's already fled to the farthest part, corner of the realm. Afraid of the Philistines. Afraid of David's house. He's now from the house of Saul, which is a disgraced royal lineage, right? So anyone that's now a relative of Saul, uh, remember, they fought against David for several years. So they're, they're an enemy of David. If you're in the house of Saul, that's Mephibosheth. So this guy physically is messed up. And you, you, I mean, when you have these things and you grow up a boy and you're lame, I mean, you, you know, you, there's all the shame. There's kids making fun of you. There's, there's just, and then, you know, his granddad, he, if he was told the truth, well, your dad didn't obey God, so he lost the kingdom. Oh, that's real nice to know. <laughs> My granddad lost the kingdom. Yes. You know, there, there's no there's no pride in your family. His family lineage was uh, basically, you know, pushed aside by God Himself, and so that's how he grew up. And so I'm thinking this guy Mephibosheth is probably, you know, when he called himself a dead dog when he prostrated himself. It seems like he probably really was a dead dog type of a person. I mean, he was just out of it. He had nothing. Everything he had was, was just kind of taken away. His physically was taken away and his lineage was taken away. And then all of a sudden, David wants to show kindness to this guy. That's, that's pretty amazing. So, let me read what another commentator said about Mephibosheth because it, it says it so well. It says, Mephibosheth bowed himself in token of gratitude and as a sign of humility and of the sense he had of his unworthiness to enjoy such favor. 
And he said, what is your servant that you should look on such a dead dog as I am? One so lowly and base and worthless, which he might say with respect to the infirmities of his body, in other words, because he was lame, the rejection of his family by the Lord, their attainder of high treason for rebellion against David, and the low circumstances he was brought into and now under, though one of the royal family, the son of a prince and grandson of a king, such was his humility and the sense he had of his being undeserving of any favor from the king. And so he says this with admiration and astonishment. So, and I'm, I'm still not done. I still need to tell you, you still don't get it yet, what happened to Mephibosheth. <clears throat> Okay, so Mephibosheth is from a disgraced royal line. Now, when David says, you're going to sit and eat at my table, what is that? That's the highest honor that can be bestowed on somebody, isn't it? To sit at the king's table? So now this guy's going from dead dog obscurity to highest honor next to the rival king. I'm still not done. You still missed it. <clears throat> okay. So then David says to Ziba, look, you take all, all of Saul's land I'm giving to Mephibosheth. Saul was king, right? How much land do you think Saul had? A lot of land, right? A lot of land. All that land that Saul had is now going to Mephibosheth. It's a business. It's a corporation. And Ziba's running it. And Mephibosheth is made by David to be the CEO of this new corporation. Ziba, you manage it. All the profits and proceeds will go to Mephibosheth. He's moving to Jerusalem. He's sitting at my table. He's over you. He's sitting at my table. He has the highest honor. That's Mephibosheth. Isn't that cool? That's awesome. Isn't, isn't that what Christ did for us? We're, we, were call, we were called enemies of God. Did you realize that in Ephesians? We are at enmity with God. And so it's only God had to initiate some act of kindness, some love by going to the cross so that we could be pulled back into fellowship with Him and seated at His table, right? And I've read this Scripture. I don't know how many times I've shared here. Revelation 3.20. Behold, um, what's well, a picture of God sitting at the throne and the saints are sitting with Him on His throne. Um, so, we now are like Mephibosheth. We were dead dogs before we were saved. Once we received Christ and joined the family of God, we are now king's kids sitting at the table of the king. Isn't that incredible? Okay, still not done here. Oh, and there's one more thing here. Um, Maybe a little speculation in verse 12. I didn't finish reading this. But back to 2 Samuel 9, verse 12. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate at the king's table regularly. Now he was lame in both feet. Now I don't know when Mephibosheth had this son. Did he have the son before he came to Jerusalem? Or did he have the son once he got to Jerusalem and sat at the king's table? I kind of want, I, I'm kind of hoping that he had the son once he got to Jerusalem 
Because that would just be the icing on the cake of God's blessings, right? So he, he gives them highest honors. He makes them CEO of corporation. And aren't children a blessing from God? And then he throws the child on top of all that. Just a complete restoration of this guy. The enemy. Just incredible. Absolutely incredible. I mean, is that a turning point for Mephibosheth's life? I knew I would get tongue twisted on that. How many of you would like a turning point like that in your life, right? And when you got saved, that did happen to you. But God is in the business of constant turning points and constant breakthroughs, right? Because He's conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. He's renewing our mind. He's transforming us into His likeness from glory to glory. That's what's going on. That's the whole purpose of this whole series on turning points. So let me just share one one last illustration. My wife was sneaky and did something behind my back. Um, (laughs) And honestly, I don't know that I'm going to be able to share this story um, because (laughs) my wife was sneaky. Uh, But I'm going to try. I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose it, but I'll try my best. All right, so uh, a turning point that happened with my family is uh, my son, David, was in middle school, in eighth grade. And it was the fourth quarter, I believe. And he was being homeschooled. He went to Under the Sun Academy, uh, kind of a homeschool co-op. And I just to let you know, I had nothing to do with any of this. Okay, I'm supposed to be the, the leader of my household. I'm clueless. This whole process that I'm about to explain, I'm just... I'm like a bystander on the outside watching this, okay? Uh, just so you get that. So I guess David was thinking, well, you know, what would it be like if I went to public school next year for ninth grade, which would be Heritage High School? And so some, I don't know who came up with the idea, but maybe Debbie or somebody said, well, you know, maybe you could go to Sandusky Middle School and check it out. Well, you know, do you just go into the public school and check it out? I don't know. But somehow, Debbie and Rebecca, our Rebecca here, who's the guidance counselor, is that right, at uh, Sandusky. So somehow, all of a sudden, David's going to Sandusky in the morning, I believe. I'm like, okay, he's going to Sandusky in the morning. I don't know how that can happen, but it does. So Rebecca's helping Debbie and, and got him in there. And then somehow David... Get some award for Latin in middle school. I'm like, what is that? I mean, the kid's only there for a couple of weeks and he has some award. In, I mean, I, I'm not understanding any of this. And then somehow Debbie gets with Bernie. I don't even know how that happened. Or Rebecca got with Bernie. But somebody, Bernie is the high school counselor at Heritage High School. My wife brought Bernie today. <laughs> Unbeknownst to me, okay? So, so Bernie... I worked with uh, Bernie um, at Heritage High School. Uh, I was teaching math. She came out of guidance counselordom to teach math for a year. And then she ran back to guidance <laughs> guidance counselordom. <laughs> okay. So I got to know Bernie for a year, and uh, uh, she's great. So, But anyways, uh, so somehow they get David into Heritage. So he's going... 
So in the morning, he's going to school with Sandusky, winning awards. And in the afternoon, he's going to Heritage. And then somehow, Bernie gets him some advanced, puts him in an advanced class. I don't know, advanced algebra class. I, I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm just on the outside looking at all this stuff. And I'm like, how can this be happening? Well, because these two women were just advocating. my children and I so and David does well at Heritage and then somehow Bernie's like we need to take advanced classes and we're like okay (laughs) and so he takes these advanced classes and she just kept pushing for him pushing for him pushing for him and, um, you know, this year he's, he took uh, AP classes and had over a 4.0. And, you know, um, it's just she showed us kindness. You know, Rebecca showed us kindness. So thank you. Thank you both. I'm serious. Because it impacts, our family had a major turning point. Because the education of our children was not easy with two adopted boys. Um, There's just a lot of issues that you may not know about. And so when you have people, like I said, I, I didn't push a thing. I was on the sidelines looking at this thing the whole time. And that's exactly what we need. It's like God cares about my two boys, number one, because he pulled them out of an orphanage, a godless orphanage in Taiwan, so they could come here and hear about Jesus Christ and receive their turning point for salvation. But God cares, not only does God care about salvation, he cares about their education. And so uh, we were direct recipients. I didn't even tell you, uh, 10, 12 years ago when I was working with Bernie, she told me about a job at Liberty Online. And I got that job. And I knew I wasn't qualified, and I got it anyway. And it was an awesome job. And I worked for, for six years. And then I, I needed more education because they were up in the requirements uh, to have that job. And I didn't want to go back to school, so I quit. Well, my, my the dean really liked me. I had favor with her. And she said, well, I'll go to Liberty Online Academy and I'll talk to their the person hiring and see if you can get a job. You want me to do that? I'm like, okay. And uh, <laughs> so they got me into this job, which I just got a year ago, which has been the je- best job I've ever had. And then I got promoted a couple months after that. I already told you guys that to be mass chair. But, you know, if Bernie's showing this act of, so twice, her acts of kindness. A major turning. This job, I, I, you guys heard, is a major turning point in my life. Not only with my children, but with the job that I just recently got. So what's the what's the what's the whole point of this message? It's should you pray, God, give me a turning point for my life. 
Absolutely, man. We need to cry out every day. God, give me a breakthrough. God, give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. God, do something in my life. Lord, my family situation, my children, my aunt, my uncle, save somebody. God, let there be turning point. My neighbor, my whoever, do it. That's not the point of this message. The point of this message is, will you say, like David said, who can I show the kindness of God to today? Will you do that? That's, that's the moral of this story. And um, you know, my wife was like, well, I need to go to the, we need to leave early. I said, why? She's like, well, we need to go to uh, the convenience store, the shelf station. I said, what do you want to go there for? She said, well, there's some woman I give muffins to, or I don't know what she does. I'm like, you want to give a woman muffins that works at a convenience store? <laughs> but what would, and she didn't know this message. She, she, I didn't tell her this message. But she wanted to show the kindness of God to a woman, the, the woman at the Shell station before we came to church. I mean, that's, that's the point of this message. is Are we willing to be a usable vessel? Because somebody that you show the kindness of God to is going to get saved. And then somebody that's a Christian that you show the kindness of God to is going to be like me standing up here blubbering because of your testimony. Right? Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com. Contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net. Or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.